DiscerningHearts.com, in cooperation with the Institute for Priestly Formation, presents Crossing the Desert, Lent and Conversion, with Deacon James Keating. Deacon Keating is the Director of Theological Formation for the Institute for Priestly Formation, located at Creighton University in Omaha, Nebraska. Deacon Keating has led more than 400 workshops on moral theology and spirituality nationwide. He has authored or edited 13 books and numerous articles in the field of moral and spiritual theology, including The Way of Mystery, Pure Heart, Clear Conscience, Listening for Truth, Praying Our Way to Virtue, and Crossing the Desert, on which this series is based. Crossing the Desert, Lent and Conversion, with Deacon James Keating. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Probably one of the most compelling, or dare I say provocative, chapter titles that you have in the book is The Desert of Sin. And this just points our minds to the fact of sin's total lifelessness. That's all we're trying to get at there, is that it is a mirage to think that any of the deadly sins, anger, pride, envy, sloth, gluttony, any of these sins is giving you life. They are giving you some form of consolation, pathological as it may be. You're getting something from them, but you're not getting life from them. And this, of course, plays right into the whole understanding of Satan as the father of lies. When we enter into these sins habitually, we are receiving some pathological consolation. And since Satan is directing our spirits to keep choosing them, well, he's clouding over the truth about them too. And he is assisting us in clinging to them in inordinate ways and perhaps even instructing us that these places, envy and sloth and greed, pride, these places that we live are fruitful. And all you have to do is you know, get out from under the spell of the great father of lies, and you'll see that with most people's lives, in our own lives too, that our life is a shambles. The fruit of paying attention to these great temptations and these sins and entering into them, the fruit is that your life is a mess. The envious person is never happy. There's no rest in envy. The proud person is continually judging, continually raising him or herself up. The energy that's expended to live in these sins is such a source of stress. And that means that other very viable aspects of our lives are going to be left fallow. And therefore, we are putting all of this energy into uh, areas that are non-life-giving in sin. And so Jesus breaks in to this sin, which is our only hope. And he can reach us in our sin. He could be reaching some people right now by way of the radio. He could be reaching people, reaching right into your sin by way of the Holy Spirit, naming the sin for you, and ever so gently calling you from it, offering you an alternative. So Jesus comes to the desert, enters it with us, names that which separates us from life, 
and then offers us real life in return. That's the the great movement of Jesus in Lent. You talk about the conversion that we undergo that transforms our entire person, requires a very important virtue, and that is patience, not only with ourselves, but for all of those around us. I thought that was very interesting. Yeah, and I think patience is probably the, the, the fault of those in the early stages of conversion or maybe in the stage of a purification and maybe even illumination. The stage of leaving your sin behind, purgation, and the stage of illumination, which is the taking up of virtues. I think patience is something so important for us as we pass into these stages of spiritual maturity. The reason that patience is so necessary is that in the beginning of our conversions, we see the promised land. We see how good Christ is. And in seeing the beauty of Christ and the beauty of what Christ has to offer, we can get very impatient with others. Don't you see that famous right word, right? Mm-hmm. Don't you see? And we finish it by saying or not saying, don't you see what I see? Look, look, and let me tell you what I see. And the person, you know, no, I don't get it. or I don't see it. Or worse for us, I'm not interested. Or um, there's nothing for me there. What are you talking about? This is salvation. This is beautiful. So there is a frustration level that can grow in the lives of those who are beginning the spiritual journey and, and actually begin to glimpse the beauty of the moral life, the beauty of virtue, the beauty of holiness. And they want to go and share it with everybody. And they get very frustrated when it's not received. And then this is the dangerous part. Their own spiritual journey could stall and falter and sputter because in that frustration, Satan sees a way to get at them. And then they're not too far from despair. And then they're not too far from thinking, well, maybe this whole thing's an illusion. See, because nobody else is really as excited about it as I am. I found Christ, or Christ has found me, and I've left these sins behind, and I'm fascinated with the Word of God, and I love to read the lives of the saints, and I'm in church praying all the time, but I can't get anybody to come with me. And, I, and everybody I talk to thinks I'm a nut. And so I'm wondering if this is just a mirage, an illusion, I wonder if Jesus is really real. Patience with others is absolutely key for us to stay on the road of hope, not to let frustration enter so that we don't cascade down to despair ourselves. Patience has to be practiced, not in some level of self-interest, like, oh, I better be patient because I might become frustrated and then frustration will lead to despair. I mean, we're not talking about that. Patience is practiced because you have in your own autobiography now the overwhelming truth that Christ found you in your sin. So he will find others. And it's not our job to go around and name the precise timing of other people's conversions. Christ will do it. Our role after our conversion is witness, that's all. And what happens uh, sometimes is we think 
we're witnessing, but we're really still in need of the purification of the ego because we're not really witnessing. We're trying to manipulate others. We're trying to be powerful. We're on a power trip. Wow, I got all this information. I got all this insight. I have all these examples and stories. Maybe if I just tell them, they'll fall at my feet. Maybe I'll convert people. And there's a subtle temptation there that it's still all about me. So patience becomes so crucial. And, and as we pray for patience, we're trying to have it take up residence in us because we know a real truth about Jesus. He is the one in the conversion business, not us. We are just his witnesses. We can be very patient. We can be as patient as the day is long because Jesus is more interested in the salvation of sinners than we'll ever be. And there's always that temptation in us to manipulate the conversion of others so that we feel better about ourselves, so that we feel, well, I have an effective life. Look, I converted five people. And and that's a subtle temptation. So have patience with yourself, as St. Francis de Sales always taught, never be surprised by your own falling back into sin. It's annoying, but don't be surprised. Don't be shocked by it. It's going to happen. We fall back, and we take two steps forward, and then we fall back, and we take three steps forward. That's okay. Don't be surprised. So have patience with yourself. And then secondly, have patience with others. Because this gift that you received is also a gift that Christ wants to give to others. And it's not yours for the giving. You don't give anything. Christ gives because Christ is giving himself. So we intercede for others. We give witness to others. But be very, very careful when you sense impatience with other parishioners, members of your family, when you sense a growing impatience that they don't love church as much as you do, the word of God, that is a first sign spiritually that you should back off and begin to pray silently for them, offer sacrifices if you wish, but be very attuned to your interior movements. If you're impatient with others, that probably means there's more ego that needs to be purified in you. Does that make sense? It does. And as I sit and I listen, I mean, I find myself guilty of that particular sin. It's difficult because in some ways you become so on fire for Christ. And your heart almost feels inflamed, literally. And you want to share that with others, and you want people to be at that place. But I think, as you pointed out, you have to love them enough to let them be themselves and to trust that Christ will bring them along. Right, and it's not a matter of us not being inflamed. It's a matter of us not allowing their non-reception to give birth to anger in us. That's the tip-off, that there's less than pure motive there. Because I said it, I, you know, we're talking here on the radio, and you know, boy, I hope 100 people get converted to Jesus this Lent, and this will be thrilling, and, you know, and 100 people will come up to you and me, and they'll say, thank you, that converted me, you know. Well, that's an ego trip. Uh It's nice if they get converted. It's wonderful. More than nice, it's wonderful. But it's not about 
us. We are impassioned about Jesus. Jesus has affected us. We share that with others. And when the seed takes root, it takes root. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. And we move on and keep planting. But if we get angry, if we sense impatience growing, then that just means we need to do more spiritual work with our spiritual director and confess it more often. That I've sensed an impatience or an anger in me when people do not receive the word of God. And that's a very subtle thing, but I think as, as we grow in the spiritual life, we'll become very aware of that movement and it becomes easier for us to recognize. You have a beautiful quote in Crossing the Desert, Lent and Conversion from the 4th century church father Gregory of Nyssa, which talks about the gradualness of moral conversion, that it's, it's similar to the coming of spring. And again, an, another evocative image of, of patience is that maybe you want to read part of that quote. It is not the natural custom of spring to shine forth all at once, but there come as preludes of spring, the sunbeam gently warming earth's frozen surface, and the bud half hidden beneath the clod, and breezes blowing over the earth, so that the fertilizing and generative power of the air penetrates deeply into it. One may see the fresh and tender grass, the return of birds which winter had banished, and many such tokens which are rather signs of spring than spring itself. And notice that image of the wind, right, like the Holy Spirit. And with each little sign, uh, your husband has been to church in years. And you come home from church and you just very gently and subtly say, Oh, Father had a great homily today. Here's what it was. And for a minute or two, your husband actually is listening to you. The wind is blowing. See, and the seed is growing deeper into the soil. And it's very subtle and it's a preparation for spring. And as Gregory says there, you know, there'll be other signs of spring, but it's not yet spring. And here again, calling for patience. Very, very subtle signs. You'll forget night prayer once with your children. Your children will say, Mommy, Daddy, we didn't pray. Great. The wind is blowing. The seeds are taking root. It's not yet fully spring yet. But the Spirit is being allowed to work. And in very gentle ways, you affirm that. Oh, thank you, Johnny. Let's pray now. You don't make a big deal about it. You don't give a big, long speech. You just affirm that the seeds are taking root. And that's how it happens in ourselves, too. That's why St. Francis de Sale told us to be so patient with ourselves. Because the seed is taking root. It's not fully a flower. It's not fully a tree yet. It's not, it's not what it's supposed to be yet. We haven't come to full fruition. So all of Lent... It's about the careful working of the soil so that we're making a good home for the Word of God to root in. And we know how difficult it is to do gardening or to do farming and how we have to work the soil. And so it is with the soil of our hearts. We're working them very, very gently, but very persistently during Lent so that the wind will blow over them, the rains will come, I will be prepared at a very deep level, not just a surface level, but a very deep level to house the roots of the Word of God. Just like the scripture image that Jesus gave us about the sower. And some fall on rocky, and some fall on thorns, and some fall on good soil. 
So here again, patience with the self and patience with others in a context of intercessory prayer for all. We'll return in just a moment to Crossing the Desert, Lent and Conversion with Deacon James Keating. Did you know that you can obtain a free app which contains all your favorite Discerning Hearts programs? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Archbishop George Lucas, Father Mauritius Fildi, and so many more, including episodes from Inside the Pages, can be obtained on the Discerning Hearts free app. This also includes all the novenas and devotionals and prayers, including the Holy Rosary and Stations of the Cross, the Chaplet of St. Michael, and the Seven Sorrows of Our Lady, all available on the Discerning Hearts free app. Visit the iTunes and Google Play app stores to obtain your free Discerning Hearts app today. A Prayer of St. Ignatius of Loyola Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will, all that I have and call my own. You have given all to me. To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me. Amen. Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile, and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. We now return to Crossing the Desert, Let and Conversion, with Deacon James Keating. Again, the chapter we're discussing on crossing the desert is the desert of sin. And you state in it that sin is not simply closed within our hearts. It is spilled out of our hearts into culture. Our call as Christians is to mold culture, to influence society's values in order that our public lives mirror what is good. Yeah, the reason that, you know, the incarnation, Jesus, second person of the Blessed Trinity, Jesus, when he was born, came to earth, if we use the word, to infiltrate the earth. Analogously, the layperson, a person of deep incarnational spirituality, Jesus comes close in our hearts so that we can infiltrate culture in the same movement that God used when Mary gave birth to Jesus of Nazareth. He infiltrated the world. And so the layperson receiving forgiveness of sin and then receiving along with forgiveness the very person of Christ. So the layperson 
receiving a mystical experience, a mystical form of living, drawing from the mystery, that's all we're talking about, drawing from the mystery of Jesus, from within his or her heart, drawing from that mystery and the communion that they have with that mystery. Then they take that mystery that lives within them and they infiltrate the culture. So first you receive it personally. And the only way you can infiltrate the culture as a layperson is if you receive the living God. Not if you go to church. But if you receive the living God. Then you will be able to infiltrate culture. Just as Jesus was able to infiltrate the human reality at the Incarnation. So this is a crucial preparation uh, that Lent affords us. Once again, the church gives it yearly. If we haven't gone deep enough last year, then we go deeper this year. So that what? To what end? To one end and one end only, that we infiltrate culture with the living Spirit of God. You also talk about how over the last several decades, we have placed an emphasis on how much God loves us. And yes, he absolutely does. He loves us. But it's also very important to realize that the Christian faith is simply not about being loved by God. It is also about loving in return. Yes, it's like a a grandchild and their grandfather. The grandfather was continually giving himself and maybe even tokens or presents of his love for his grandchildren. And they keep taking. And they keep taking. And only upon his death when they're mature do the tears come because they realize that they simply were takers and they didn't complete the circuit. They never gave themselves back to their grandfather. And they were just takers. And in the 1970s, of course, because we were coming out of a legalistic church, focused on laws and punishment to some extent, although that's a bit of a caricature. But anyway, generally speaking, in the popular consciousness, that's what was going on. Well, we thought the antidote was to then go hyper-conscious the other way and just continually blather on about the love of God. And by um, talking endlessly about how much God loves us, how much God loves us, we thought this was an antidote and a purification of any of the legalism and the Jansenism that was stuck in the residue of our hearts. And I'm sure it helps some people. But you can never live in the truth without the fullness of the truth. And the fullness of the truth is, I love you, says God, receive my love. has to be really received. And only when it's really received will it have an authentic response. And the authentic response to really receiving the love of God is to love God back. And there's only one way of proving your love of God, and that is to live a virtuous life. Otherwise, you could just be taking presents from your grandfather. You have to receive the love of God. And once the love of God is received, your desire will be virtue. And that completes the circuit. So, of course, we have to keep preaching that God loves us. There's a lot of people out there who think they're unlovable. Of course we have to. 
But we also have to ask the challenging question, do you love God? Do you really love God? And that completes the circuit. And then the, the other question, well, how do I know if I love God? You know if you love God, if you are now living virtues that you have not yet previously entered. That's the only way we know we love God. Primarily the virtue of worship. You have entered worship at new and ever-deepening levels. Yes, God loves us. But do you love God? Living the virtues supremely is really what the saints model for us, isn't it? Definitely, yes. The saints are hopeful mirrors. We want to look in the mirror and we want to see a saint. And we want to study the lives of the saints so that we can understand the geography of holiness. Because you say in Crossing the Desert that saints understand the tension correctly and accept the love of God and in this love also see clearly their own sin and repent and rejoice in God's mercy. Yes, when you really have received the love of God, then the amazing and beautiful thing is joy is released. Joy is released when the love of God is received because what you're receiving is the forgiveness you have always desired. And this forgiveness comes right along with the reception of the love of God. It's not, okay, uh, here's step one, here's step two. It's you receive me, you're receiving my love. You receive me, you're receiving my forgiveness. And what's released is this gush of joy. And the joy is real. And it's real because it's our desires finally resting in what is our dignified end. This beautiful relationship with God that we were made for. And the joy is released because we're now living in truth. And joy cannot be manufactured. Joy is not something superficial like, you know, neurotic kids in school will tell you smile if you're walking down the hallway and you don't smile or something. And they'll say, be cheerful. And people try to make you be cheery. That's not joy. Being cheery or being extroverted or bubbly, as, as people might say today, that's not joy. Joy stays Joy is not transitory. Joy feeds you. Joy nourishes you. Because joy is given as a direct result of your deep and authentic reception of God's love for you. And it is usually experienced most as peace a peace beyond all understanding, as the scripture says. Thank you, Deacon Keating. You're welcome. You've been listening to Crossing the Desert, Lent and Conversion with Deacon James Keating. To hear and or to download this discussion along with many others, go to discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of DiscerningHearts.com in cooperation with the Institute for Priestly Formation. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Join us next time for Crossing the Desert, Lent and Conversion with Deacon James Keating.